How about we pray? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for Luke and the book that he wrote. And we want to pray now that as we hear him tell us why Jesus died, we pray that we'd have hearts that are very quick to listen, very quick to be humble, very quick to submit to Jesus the King. Amen. When I went to uni, my taste in music consisted mainly of uh, loud drums and even louder guitars, and I still like that sort of stuff. But I made a friend at uni that thankfully broadened my musical horizons. He was studying music, and every now and then he'd corner me and grab a CD of um, Beethoven, I think it is, or Mozart, or is it Vivaldi? Someone like that, anyway. And he'd make me listen to it. And then after listening to it, he'd explain it to me what was happening in the composer's life when he wrote the piece, uh, what the different moods in the piece were, what the moods actually meant for the composer himself as he was writing it, all that sort of stuff. And then he'd play the piece back to me. And the music suddenly became so much more than just an impressive orchestral piece of music. The music told a story. It had meaning, but it was completely lost on me unless my friend had pointed it out to me. Now, Christ's death and resurrection can be a bit like that. You can hear about Jesus dying and coming back to life, but unless someone points out to you the meaning of it all, you can easily miss it. Now, thankfully, God has given us the entire scriptures to let us know about what it meant for Christ to die. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be listening in on Luke as he tells us not only a blow-by-blow description of what happened to Jesus when he died and rose again, But along the way, he's also going to tell us the meaning of it all. At various points during his telling of the events, Luke drives home the meaning of what is really happening. And Luke wants us to know that it's far more than just an innocent man being treated unfairly. It was an event that took in the destiny of the whole world. Our lives in the here and now, as well as into the future, even beyond the grave, our lives are all caught up in the cross of Christ. And so his death is something we need to remember. It's something we need to know and understand. It's something we need to hold on to. Something we need to remember. So let's listen to Luke tell us all about it. What we're going to do is just simply read through most of Luke 22. And when we get to something significant, we'll pause and just think about what Luke's telling us about the meaning of Jesus' death. And what we're going to see is that Christ's death, it's a bit like a jewel with all its different faces and edges. There's a lot of different aspects to the jewel that is the death of Christ. And Luke's going to turn it this way and then he'll turn it that way just so that we get a really good look at it. So we'll pick it up in verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. This is an important occasion. That's what Jesus wants to tell us. His words, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. Jesus wanted to eat his last Passover with his disciples because now he can tell them what it's really about. Because it's not really about the time that God rescued Old Testament Israel out of Egypt. No longer will they remember when God passed over them to save them out of Egypt because 
Well, Jesus will say the Passover is really about him. Christ's death is the true Passover. For God's true rescue, God's complete salvation of his people, well, he does that through Christ's death. A Passover was simply a pointer to God's final rescue in Christ. And there's more to understand about Christ's death out of this Passover meal. Luke turns the jewel for us so that we, we can see Christ's death as what it took to restore us to God. Christ's death is the new covenant, the ultimate way of relating to God. We're up to verse 17. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now in the Old Testament, um, there was the old covenant that God had made with Old Testament Israel, but Israel kept breaking the covenant in her sin. And so God promised that one day he'd make a new covenant with both Israel and the nations. And it'd be a covenant that couldn't be broken, wouldn't be broken. A new covenant that would deal with sin by forgiving it forever. It'd be a covenant that would even move God's people to be obedient to him. So anyone in the new covenant would enjoy their sins forgiven and a right relationship with God forever. Now one such promise from God about his new covenant is in Isaiah 55. And I've put it on the outline there for you to read a little bit later. And Jesus says here in Luke 22 that this new covenant that God promised is in the pouring out of his blood. It has come in his death. So if you're here this morning and you're Christian, well, you need to marvel again that you have been restored to God made his child through the death of Christ, made clean by him and brought to him, restored to God in a relationship that God himself will make sure is never broken. You are his. Take that home with you this morning, won't you? Because of Christ's death, you are his. And it's no accident. Christ's death was always God's plan. Christ's death was always God's intention. We're up to verse 21. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed. But woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. The next thing Luke wants us to remember about Christ's death is that it was decreed. It was God's plan, not an accident. Definitely not a case of things getting out of hand. God was always in control. In Christ's death, God was doing what he had always done, stooping down low to do things for his people, to serve his people. We're up to verse 24. Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. 
For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Christ's death was an act of service. His death was as one who serves. Now exactly how he served, what he did for other people, well that comes next. And this is perhaps the shiniest that the jewel gets in Luke 22. So if you've got sunglasses, now's a good time to put them on. In these next few verses, we are going to get a wonderful insight into what Christ's death means. We're going to pick it up in verse 35. Jesus here reminds his disciples of the time that he sent them on a missionary trip. And the disciples had a great time. Everybody loved them. Everybody provided for them. But Jesus is about to tell them that time is gone. People are going to hate them now because the people hate Jesus. They hate Jesus enough to kill him. Verse 35. Then Jesus asked them, When I sent you without purse, bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, But now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That is enough, he replied. Now, what's all this business about swords? Sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? Well, the key to it is that little quote that Jesus says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. After telling his disciples to buy swords, Jesus quotes Isaiah 53. It's that famous chapter about this figure called the suffering servant. And Jesus quotes the bit where it says that the servant was numbered with the transgressors. And apparently that explains the bit about the swords. So let's have a look at it. It's on your bulletin there for you. I'll read it to you. Isaiah 53:12. It's on your bulletin in, in the middle on the uh, right-hand side. Isaiah 53:12, talking about the servant, God says... Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he'll divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, Jesus said that this must be fulfilled in him. And that means he's in trouble. This verse speaks of being numbered with the transgressors. In other words, Jesus is going to be counted as a lawbreaker. Not that he is one, but he'll be counted as one. And the verse also says that as he's counted as a transgressor, he'll pour out his life unto death, bearing the sin of many. Jesus is in for big trouble. And so if you're friends with Jesus, then you're in for trouble as well. It's a bit like being part of the Kelly gang. Everyone's after you. So go get your swords, Jesus told his disciples. Now Jesus wasn't being literal. He didn't actually want them to go and get swords. You can tell that in verse 38. The disciples respond by saying that they already have two swords and Jesus says that that's plenty, even though there's 12 of them. And then again in verse 51, after one of the disciples uses his sword to cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest, Jesus says, enough, no more. You see, it's not about the swords. It's about what the sword represents, a time of trouble, a time where Jesus would be numbered with the transgressors to the point of death, bearing the sin of his people. Christ died in their place, on their behalf, for their sin. 
On the 14th of January in 1982, a 737 plane crashed into the 24th Street Bridge in Washington, D.C., and then sank into the icy Potomac River. Of the 79 passengers, five survived. They were rescued by being pulled out of the water by a line attached to a helicopter, and each of the five survivors all told the same story. They'd each been handed the lifeline in the water by a man who had it first. But unfortunately, when the helicopter returned for that man, he disappeared and drowned because of his efforts to save the others. He sacrificed himself for those five people. That's a little like Jesus, sacrificing himself for his people. So look, if you're here this morning and you're Christian, breathe in the fact that Christ died for you. He bore your sin for you to take it away. Now walk away from here with that, won't you? The forgiveness of your sins has already been won for you in the death of Christ. You have no fear of God dragging out some secret sins at the last minute. You have nothing to be ashamed of before the Lord of heaven and earth. For Christ died for you. You are forgiven of all your sin. As Christians, we freely relate to God without fear of judgment. And that's the next thing that Luke wants us to know about the death of Christ. The next side of the jewel that we need to understand is that Christ died enduring the wrath of God for us. We're up to verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And with the mention of this cup, Luke's drawing out yet another aspect of the cross. For the cup is an image of the wrath of God. What you need to picture is a goblet filled to the brim. Filled to the brim with the wrath of God. We've just read in Isaiah 53 of the suffering servant who died in the place of sinful people. Well, just before that, in Isaiah 51, we're told why he had to do that. He died to save God's people from the wrath of God at their sin. And Isaiah uses the image of the cup. Again, it's on your bulletin in Isaiah 51, verse 17, down the bottom there. We're told of God's people drinking the cup. I'll read from verse 17. Awake, awake, rise up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, you who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes men stagger. These double calamities have come upon you. Who can comfort you? Ruin and destruction, famine and sword. Who can console you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of every street. Like antelope caught in a net, they are filled with the wrath of the Lord and the rebuke of your God. As Isaiah says, when you face the wrath of the Lord, who can comfort you? Who can console you? And yet Jesus knew that that's exactly what was upon him. He was about to drink the cup of God's wrath. And it filled him with anguish. And of course it did. For he knows the Father better than anyone. He knows better than anyone what it could be like to face God in his fury. So of course it filled him with dread to drink the cup of God's wrath. And still he prayed. 
yet not my will, but yours be done. He and the Father willingly let Jesus die. The Father and the Son agreed for Jesus to die in the place of sinners under the Father's fury. Not for fun, not for kicks, but for love. Love of people. The story is told of the drawbridge operator in Canada whose job it was to open and close the bridge to let trains across. And one day, an unexpected train came hurtling through the mountains. And so quickly, the operator took his controls to let the bridge down when, to his horror, he saw his young son playing amongst the gears of the bridge. He had a choice. Save his son and kill possibly hundreds on the train. Or he could lower the bridge and watch his son get crushed amongst the gears. In a moment of incredible emotion, the father worked the controls and lowered the bridge and his son was killed. The train and his passengers sped off into the distance, completely unaware of the tragedy that's happened, that a father had sacrificed his son for the sake of others. Now myself, as a father of three, I find that very hard to imagine. And yet even more so, that's that's what we have in the death of Christ, that God the Father sacrificed his son, Jesus, for our sake. But in the death of Christ, it's so much more incredible than that drawbridge operator. For the Father's decision for Jesus to be sacrificed, it wasn't made in a split moment. As we've seen, his death was something that was planned, it was intentioned, it was orchestrated. And it wasn't that the son didn't know what was going on. As we've seen in Jesus' prayer, he knew exactly what was going on. And he not only knew what was going on, he agreed to it. Jesus was a willing sacrifice. Such is the love of the Father and the Son for people like us that Christ died for us under the wrath of God. He endured the wrath of the Father to save people from having to endure it themselves. So again, if you're here this morning and you're Christian, know that you are safe. Safe from the storm of God's righteous fury at sin. Safe in the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You have been saved from the coming wrath of God because Christ has already endured it for you on Calvary's hill. So death holds no fear for you. The judgment of God, it is no cause for alarm for you. You've been saved from it because Christ has already endured it for you. Walk away with that, won't you? Now, how can we tie all this together? How can we try and hold the beauty of the jewel of Christ's death in Luke 22? Well, I think it's the image of Jesus as the suffering servant that holds it all together. For the servant died to rescue people, like the Passover lamb was killed to rescue Israel. The servant died to bring in the new covenant and make us God's people. Jesus died as the servant, as foretold by Isaiah. Jesus died as the servant bearing the sin of many that they would be forgiven. And he died enduring the wrath of God against his people, that they would be saved. And look, that's just Luke 22. This jewel has many sides and great beauty. And I guess the question is whether you think this jewel shines brightly. Or maybe to you it's just another rock. Because Luke wants us to clearly see that the death of Christ is treasure beyond price. Treasure that we should never forget. That's why Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. 
We're always to remember what Christ has done for us in dying for us. Our lives now, in the future, even beyond the grave, our lives rely on Christ's death for us. That's why we need to make sure that ourselves, our friends, our families, that we remember Christ. So how do you do that? What helps you to remember? How do you help others to remember? Now look, it's not rocket science, but being in a group that has the goal of remembering Christ's death, well, that's going to help, isn't it? It's just one of the reasons why joining a small group is just so precious. For there you are reminded and you remind others about the death of Christ on our behalf. Family devotions around the dinner table and personal Bible reading, it's the same sort of thing, isn't it? Anything that helps ourselves and other people to read the scriptures is just so valuable because there we will be reminded of Christ and his death for us. But it's not just something you can do in groups. There's a whole stack of things we can be doing to remember Christ's death. We can do it in our prayers, as we've done already this morning. It's always appropriate, isn't it, to thank God for what he did for us in Christ. You can also put purple passages from the scriptures up in your house. Wouldn't it be great to have a poster in your kitchen? How many times do you walk in the kitchen every day? Wouldn't it be great to have a poster in your kitchen that read, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Oh, what a wonderful thing to be reminded of every time you walk in the kitchen. Then look, your choice of CDs. You can choose which songs you listen to and in those you can be reminded of Christ. Look, your imagination is a limit. Over lunch, today, we can choose to talk about the things of God with each other. Why not decide now that over lunch I'm actually going to talk to someone about something I heard Luke tell me about Jesus' death. Have a significant conversation about the things of God just so we remind each other of Jesus and his death on our behalf. For because of him, we are saved. Because of Christ, we're forgiven. Because Christ died for us, we are the very people of God. Now walk away with that, won't you? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus and his death in our place, that we would be forgiven we would be saved from your wrath. We would be restored to you in relationship that cannot be broken. Father, thank you. And we pray your help that we would remember him always. And we would help each other to remember him always. Father, for in him is our life. We pray this for your praise, for your glory. Amen.